Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. So this week, we are taking a break from the usual Gwen 65 comics. Recently, we've been reading the Maguire Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider title. But this week, something really exciting came out. and We got a new comic featuring Ghost Spider. Uh, and this is in the uh, Peach Momoko Demon Days quarterly miniseries. Um, so every uh, two or three months, a new issue of this drops. It's I think, the, I think they're actually oversized. I think they come in at about... Yeah, like 32 pages of work written and penciled and line work and colored by Peach Momoko. He's this all-star artist at Marvel at the moment. You may have seen some of her really nice covers, and, and she's doing a really fantastic miniseries here, I think. There's been a couple of issues so far, um, and just to sort of provide some context for what this issue is about, if you haven't read these, we do recommend you go read them. Uh, there was uh, the first one, Demon Days X-Men which was sort of a prologue issue. It was set in the feudal era of the uh, Momoko-verse, as it were, and it sets up this conflict between the humans and these uh, Japanese folklore monsters called the yokai, uh, sometimes called the oni. And what they would do, um, that the conflict uh, was it where it was set up around how humans would like exploit and grow and destroy the environment around them. And this would force the yokai from their natural habitats into the mountains, where they would then be left dependent on raiding human foods and storehouses and stuff to avoid starving and that sort of set up the sort of the world there that's sort of what we're dealing with a lot of the uh, mutant stuff gets folded into the yokai um, so a lot of the mutant metaphor type stuff is, is sort of now part of the sort of the yokai's situation i think and uh, demon days mariko is quite different actually that picks up sort of in a modern era right so people have smartphones social media etc it's set hundreds of years after the initial issue here, and it follows the story of the protagonist, who remains the protagonist for, for the issue we're looking at today, Mariko, who uh, discovers that she's actually a yokai. She was adopted by humans, but her mother was like found dead next to her when she was originally discovered. So her sort of new goal is to find out what happened there, her mystery behind her origin. At the same time, she's being hunted by a cannibalistic yokai named Ogin. One of the things that comes up a couple of times in the issue we're looking at today is this thing where if um, an oni drinks the blood of another oni or yokai, they get like empowered from it. So um, that's why... This particular one wants Mariko. Uh, so that's the sort of rather grim prospect there. So she's sort of on the run slash on a sort of journey of self-discovery. And uh, she has this, uh, she's been trained by the Black Widow of the Momokoverse, who pops up. She was her nanny, um, who's unfortunately been taken off the board in Dumide's Mariko. But she has like the training there. She has a, a Tanto knife, which is like a little dagger thing. And uh, this cool jawbone thing that sort of channels her mother i think i don't know i'm not sure it sort of looks like that anyway and so she's set out on this journey and so what we're reading today is demon day's cursed web and at this point we get to meet the ghost spider of this reality which is why we're covering this issue we wanted to talk about a comic that had ghost spider in because there are literally no other comics with ghost spider in at the moment that are coming out other than dark ages but that was just only a brief one panel cameo in number one we don't know if she's gonna appear in the rest of the mini 
Yeah, I um, unfortunately, yeah, that that is the that is the length and the breadth of Gwen's appearances at the moment. It is sort of very limited, sort of background appearances in in sort of wider stuff. But in this, uh, Gwen plays a sort of featured. Uh, I say Gwen. Her name is not Gwen. Her name is Arena Yuyami. Uh, she plays a featured sort of role in this. She has Gwen's look. She has different abilities which resemble spider abilities. Um, she has the whole um, themes around ghosts and tragedy, etc., which which Gwen has. So we're going to be getting into this issue. We're going to be talking about that. And we're going to be talking about like the series overall because it's a good book, and we feel we should give it its fair due. So we're giving it its own its own episode. So that's going to be fun. Um, and yeah, and I'm 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 looking forward to it. Same here. I'm always a big fan of any thing you know mythological or anything anime-esque in general because this looks like it could be its own anime if it ever got adapted yeah absolutely i, I think this is um yeah like uh this, this is a really strong world that i think is being built here and i'm uh, yeah I'm, I'm keen i'm keen um so we've uh, put together a synopsis as usual um it is only the one issue so it's not a very long synopsis so what this is is it just gets everybody on the same page we do recommend uh you go and buy demon day's cursed web at least give that a read and then come back to the podcast and, and also the two prior issues in the run there, Mariko and X-Men. They are all sort of part of the same quarterly mini-series that's coming out at the moment. And there's going to be another three after Cursed Web? Two, so, actually. Two? Okay, another two. So it's going to it's gonna be five issues overall then, I guess. So yeah, it's it's going to be good. And we're, um, we'll do the synopsis now then, yeah? Yep. All right, I'll start. Rainy Yuyami, from her small and barely furnished home, tends to her pet spiders, farming them for their venom. Mariko, using a map given to her by her adoptive grandmother, a Jushi magician who knows the secret paths through the dangerous Mount Kirisaki, continues on her journey of self-discovery. She's ambushed by Tsuraji and Ocho, both dispatched by Ogin to bring Mariko in alive. Tsuraji holds her head in this massive grip, forcing Mariko into unconsciousness. However, Logan the wolf suddenly appears and growls at the two attackers, distracting them and giving Mariko the chance to bite her way out of Tsuraji's grip. This empowers Mariko and gives her the renewed strength and speed. She charges the two attacks and slashes out Taraji's eyes. Trying to avoid Ocho's follow-up attack, Mariko is restrained by the now blind Taraji once more and Ocho throws a dagger at her. Mariko uses Taraji's size against him and swings herself over top of him so that Ocho's dagger lands directly in his abdomen. Landing on his shoulders, Mariko seals his fate and decapitates him. Taraji's death further empowers Mariko, and with her mother's yokai spirit behind her, nearly kills Ocho too. With the situation now untenable, Ocho retreats to try new tactics at a later time. Mariko's powers dissipate and she collapses from exhaustion. Logan shows some concern over Mariko's prostrate form and is soon found by Reina, who takes the two into her home. Reina explains that Ocho killed her family in the past and that now she is living out on the mountain hunting for revenge. A knock at the door reveals Ms. Kuroki, Mariko's childhood nanny. Mariko is delighted, but Reina spies that this is a trick, and using a venom string yo-yo ruins the ruse, revealing Ocho. Ocho throws out smoke, and shape-shifting into a raven surprises the two, briefly stunning Reina. Reina has a second win and throws her venom yo-yo around Ocho's neck, vowing to kill her despite Mariko's protestations. To spare Ocho's life, Mariko cuts a yo-yo string, but Ocho strikes back at the two regardless. Logan bites at Ocho, saving them. Before Ocho can kill Logan, Mariko cuts off her arm. Ocho quickly bleeds out and dies. Mariko draws strength from drinking the lost blood, the ability of an oni. 
With Reyna's quest to avenge her family completed, she and Mariko part ways. As a parting gift, Reyna leaves Mariko a vial of her spider's venom for good luck. Upon learning of Ocho and Taraji's deaths, Ogen dispatches more of her minions to find Mariko. Alrighty, nice one. That is our issue. That has been Demon Day's Cursed Web, number one. And, uh, yeah, how, how do you feel about this? I've got to say that um, although this is a Mariko story, I feel that the ghost spider of this reality, Reina, like she got a fair bit of the spotlight too. Yeah, absolutely. I think she has her own internal sort of quest that she goes on. I think it's quite a flat sort of straight line. I think there's not too many twists on it for Reina specifically, but definitely um, I think it's quite interesting. It's not often you have a straight vengeance story with no twists to it, I think. But that is essentially what happens here. She she loses her parents in this uh, tragedy and then sets out to kill the attacker and then does that nearly sort of. So yeah, it's quite, um, I thought I, there was this sort of, I thought the line about, because um, it's Ocho, right? We've been calling this character Ocho. Ocho is mystique of this reality, right? Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I feel like I should clarify that. So mystique, she, she has this moment, right, where she has this whole spiel about how it's like she does compare um, Raina's existence to that of a ghost. There's some really sad moments where you realize that she's not with anyone. Um, like they have a few panels showing the inside of her home and it's just a mattress on the floor. There's very little furniture. Most of it is related to her spider's lab, right? So it's quite a sad sort of state for her, I think. Isn't the line for her being a ghost coming from Mystique slash Ocho? I'm trying to remember the way it was but it's probably going to be paraphrased uh you're like a ghost you're haunting these woods or something like that yeah so it's um osho says i murdered your family and you've been hiding out like a ghost haunting a filthy shack playing with spiders plotting vengeance to be honest i don't remember you or your family and then she goes on this thing how she vows to kill her um and that sort of comes just after reina does actually try to kill mystique uh which i thought was quite yeah it was brutal that was I feel that this is some sort of parallel to uh, MCU Drax and Ronan's animosity because, you know, Ronan killed Drax's wife and daughter and uh, Ronan pretends not to remember his family. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely rubbed salt in the wound, I think. It's sort of the, do you have any idea how little narrows that down meme, I guess? And yeah, like Mystique just isn't a good, she isn't a nice person at all in this. I don't think there's much in the way of redeeming her. And uh, like the lack of remorse that she shows when um, Taraji dies, uh, who is the saber tooth of this reality, who unfortunately did not have uh, regenerative abilities where it counted, I thought was quite insightful into sort of her um, character. And also the fact that like quite clearly she was um, she was outmatched here, and she still really wanted to kill them. Like there was no. There was no hesitation there. Yeah, since, you know, Reyna's only human and she's going up against someone with mythical powers. And in normal circumstances, a human would barely stand a chance. But here, the only thing she has to defend herself is her weaponized yo-yo laced with spider venom. Yeah, um, I think she's quite lethal with it. Like, yeah, no, 100%. If it wasn't for Mariko, she would have killed uh, in like a sort of a garrote situation with the yo-yo, she would have killed Mystique. And also one of the things which really stood out to me was just how surprisingly, uh, this, this is a, the, the action in, in the Demon Days books is very violent, like surprisingly so. Peach Momoko is very okay with killing off characters, that's for sure. It starts off cute until it's not. 
Yeah, like I remember reading the um, the sort of uh, original one and and being shocked that they sort of have Venom sort of outright eating people and and yeah they they sort of cranked it up a notch for Demon Days Mariko. I think Mariko is probably the angstiest one uh, in this in the series so far, but this one has the most actual I think character death. Um, they kill off Sabretooth by decapitation, but before his eyes get slashed out. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the thing is, Peach Momoko still has this sort of cutesy art style, right? But then all of a sudden she starts drawing all this gore in. And so you have this sort of picture of her sort of, you know, I don't want to call him cute, but sort of non-assuming big sort of saber-tooth type character. And then he's been slashed across the face and his eye, his eyeball has gone off in a direction. And you're like, oh, okay. You can see the eyeball. It's been drawn right in there. It's grim. And I think one of the darker parts of this is the fact that I think like, Part of sort of what's happening in the in the subtext of this is that Mariko herself is developing this sort of the thing which Ogan has, which is this sort of taste for yokai blood to get more power. Um, it's a bloodlust, right? Like it sort of comes and goes. Like they first show it right when she bites his hand. When she does that, and they show the first few flecks of blood, the next page she's instantly like empowered, right? Like, um, and I think that's probably going to be an interesting part of her character arc going forward is uh, for Mariko is to do with the bloodlust. Um, whereas I think for, for Reina, it was much more different. I think it's much more, um, she was much more focused specifically on Ocho because of what she'd done to her family and such. Um, and that was, that was her overriding concern. I don't I like, and, and she shows a sort of level of disdain for the, um, the sort of the gory elements of Mariko. Like there's a, the, the panel where Mariko drinks the blood in the background there's like Raina just looking completely gobsmacked yeah, um, yeah it's really um, and even the way that Ocho goes having her arm cut off and then bleed out yeah um I thought that was that was dark like they just yeah there wasn't um you get so used to seeing characters lose arms and stuff and them just like shaking it off right like them that you know like they like oh like luke skywalker loses a hand in every film right or whatever and he gets a new one in the next one but in this uh she loses an arm and within a few panels she's dead which i think would make sense with the kinds of weapons they have in this i think um, um it could yeah. have been worse like um i'm just gonna call it her berserker state like berserker mariko could have ripped ocho in half like what null did to sentry absolutely yeah i think uh mariko is physically probably the strongest of all the characters in this but she's just sort of got to warm up to it a bit she's got to sort of get that berserk going and then she becomes like the the sort of the dominant force on each panel for sure do you think she would have the capabilities to rip someone in half yeah i i I think she could but it wouldn't suit her style like her style is with the knife and sort of using her generally smaller frame than i think she's she's smaller than all of these than than like Sabretooth and Mystique and 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 whoever, but um, she she should have uses that as a sort of well, she has a more of an acrobatic style, I think. Because if Peach Momoko was keen on drawing Mariko ripping people in half like that, that's gonna be a much more violent story. Certainly, I I don't think she'd get to King Shark levels. I don't think she'd be doing that. Because I think the story is that, you know, Marvel editorial tells their artists if there's going to be a gory element to it, like what they can and can't do. And I was kind of surprised about how much Peach was able to get away with this. Yeah, I don't don't think they have any, there's any holds barred on on the level of gore they can put in. Like, you can find worse, I say worse, I can say find more violent stuff in like 
Donny Cates' and, and Stegman's Venom title, for instance, I think I think it's sort of it's fairly normal in the current sort of state of Marvel to sort of have art like this. Um and, and yeah, I think the kind of story she's telling it makes sense. Yeah, I guess it's it's I'm only being thrown off just because of the art style and then the gore being presented in this art style. Yeah, I think people have got so used to all of these very cute Peach Momoko covers, myself included, that when we came to actually reading Peach Momoko's interior work, we're quite taken aback by the level of, um, you know, sort of the level of the violence and the gore and etc. Um, I thought, uh, and one of the things which really stood out to me with uh, Mariko, the issue, I mean, uh, Demon Days Mariko, is they, they have a lot of these very, like, psychological, um, sort of, almost scary panels with uh, Mariko struggling with the memories that she have, has of being an Oni. There's this one sequence set in a school where um, Mariko gets in a fight with another kid and there's a pair of scissors involved. And that one I thought was really angsty. Like, And, and to see the sort of level of range that Peach Momoko has is really great. Like, I think one of the things that's come over with the covers, I've often been myself quite underwhelmed by the level of um, popularity. Like you'd expect, personally, I expect to sort of um, for how popular they are, I look at Peach Momoko's art and I'm like, it's good. I like them, but they're not, it's not like the best thing, right? Like it's a really cool art style. I like it, but uh, the amount of money they go for, for instance, with the collectors, I, I've, always, I've always been a bit surprised by. But with this, Peach Momoko absolutely earns the reputation that she has. It's the interior work she has here is just excellent, I think. It's really, really good stuff. And the different things she plays around with that she's able to play around because she's doing interior work in her own story as opposed to a variant cover for some comic book that she's not associated with. She's getting to show her strut as being part of the Marvel Stormbreakers. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think, th- yeah, this this puts Pichamoko in like, this is her defining work so far, I think. You know, people will look at Mariko and X-Men and Ghost Web here and, and whatever they make down the line. I think it's a rising storm is the next one. And they'll look at what Peach Momoko's done and that, that, that'll that be her sort of her defining work. If you want to know what Peach Momoko's art's like, read Demon Days. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, it's in that sense, it's really cool. I, I'd, I'd be interested to see if, if they do this with any other artists. But honestly, um, I think Peach Momoko's sort of caliber alone has put her, put her sort of a grade above the rest, maybe, with the level of popularity she's had. And also one of the things I'm, uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised because I wasn't, I didn't realize about it, I didn't know about it, was the fact that Peach does so much, um, she's doing all of the writing here. She's doing all of it, all of the world building, all of the the script, the plot, everything. That's all her, right? Obviously there's editors. Yeah, she's pulling double duty. Mm, she's doing double duty. So I'm reading this and I'm like, this isn't just the sort of the work of like Peach Mark as an artist, like as a writer, I think she is, she is good. I do think there's perhaps, um, and I think this just sort of happens with any translation stuff. Perhaps there's some phrases which come off as a bit sort of awkward, but there's not really a way around that. Cause I presume that it would have sounded fine in Japanese, but I think that sort of gives it its own sort of unique voice in the way that the characters talk and stuff. I think it's all quite, I think it's really good. And, and I feel like each of the characters feels very unique and sort of has their own, set of motivations and it's written in a good way i think it's um it makes sense to what the story is can i just uh, ask a question about mariko since you're the one who read the previous two issues and i haven't done it yet okay go for it so yeah we all know that uh she's an oni but is she a pure oni like her father's also one too or is she a half breed i see this is i i i was 
I was thinking that maybe like because she looks so human, that maybe, but they do only show her mother, so it is entirely possible that you know she has a split parentage there. But generally speaking, I think as far as we know, she is complete Oni. There's been nothing to say that she isn't. When her adoptive grandmother talks to her, she talks about it in terms of you know you are a child of the Oni, you you are you are of the Yokai, etc. Um, and there's nothing to say that there is a, a human father or anything. Because uh, according to the uh, bio that Peach Momoko gave her, she places her at around 17. Yeah, she's still sort of in education and stuff, but yeah, she's on the later end of that. And she's finished up with that for now. But yeah, she was having a really hard time of it at school. Um, she got bullied a lot for being different in a sort of vague way. They weren't able to put the finger on it, I guess. But yeah, I suppose it was because she was an Oni. I would be interested to see if maybe there is some sort of physical transformation that she goes through later down the line to sort of reflect the fact that she is not human. Like she is like, cause all of the yokai, all of the Oni we've seen so far have been visually very different looking. Um, they'll have a uh, very different looking, like for instance, Mystique is, you know, how she looks at the comics, like she's blue. Most of the Oni we've seen, these are the big red um, traditional Japanese folklore looking type ones. Um, there's, there's, of course, all the other ones that we see back at uh, Ogin's base. And so, like, you have to wonder if, if perhaps there's more to it. Um, her mother had horns on her head, and horns are referenced in some of the rhymes that she talks about. So, I wonder if perhaps, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would expect perhaps they maybe develop that down the line, especially as they do more of the whole drinking blood thing. But I did find it interesting that in this continuity that all of the mutants who, like, they're called mutants, but, you know, they're using yokai instead of mutant. Yeah, I would agree with that. But there were a few examples of mutants in uh, Demon Days X-Men where, um, like, people who were mutants in 616, right, who've been adapted in this as humans. So it's not true across the board. But I think the mutant metaphor of, like, an oppressed identity as an oppressed minority i think momoko is using perhaps elements of that or at least elements of that have been naturally or sort of organically picked up by the story of the yokai as they are in japanese folklore anyway um that's been carried over you know since ocho she's not a mutant here she's a yokai but she still has mystique's shape-shifting properties Yes, um, and, and she's she's got complete shape-shifting she can she turns into a ra- like a raven or a crow or something at one point and yeah, and, and just further to that point regarding her, like the, the language they used to describe being a yokai, because Mystique uses it here, like, uh, I know how you're feeling the same way I did when I, when I found out I wasn't human, that I was a yokai, an outcast, cursed by my own blood, but that blood is power. That whole spiel there sort of, you know, vaguely maps on to sort of a lot of what they use mutant method for, sort of type stuff for allegories over in sort of 616 comics so I, I do think that in some ways the mutant stuff is carried over into the yokai conflict and they never outright say what taraji slash Sabretooth is here is he just human i presume unless they say otherwise if they're from ogin that they're yokai i think there is a point in demon days mariko where ogin acknowledges this but a little bit of trivia the lettering in taraji's speech bubbles it's the same one used for Carnage, minus the red coloring. Yeah, um, who did the lettering here? Um, is it Peach or is it... Oh no, they got Ariana Maher to do it. So, yeah, I think... Is that just to make him seem look monstrous? 
Yeah, I think I think just to maybe imply that he has maybe a gruff voice or a sort of a you know a growl to his voice, maybe like what you'd expect a symbiote to give a host like 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 a symbiote's voice. Do you expect to sort of have that sort of rasp, right? Which is why they give it those captions. I think only the monstrous symbiotes. Oh, of course, like Agent Venom and such don't. But yeah, like it's that sort of the monster caption in my eyes. Like that's when I see that I'm like, oh, they have a very sort of deep, sort of gruffer gravelier voice i've always looked at that anyway at least if they're a bigger character with carnage of course because i think i imagine can sort of maybe go in the other direction be a bit higher pitched maybe that's just me yeah i think it's just to show that he's dangerous absolutely yeah and in fact he's he's probably the weakest despite that he he just end up being the weakest chap in this book by far because getting both eyeballs cut out and then getting your head cut off yeah, he's a bit of a lame duck. He does like initially come in with a sort of physical force of like he grabs her and he's he nearly has her just there. Like with the surprise, he was able to sort of nearly completely stop her from breathing and to the point of unconsciousness. And then after that, he just he just he sort of ends up getting distracted by the wolf. And then the moment where he actually gets his eyes cut, like he just stands there, right? Like he just lets it happen. And you can see Mystique jumping up next to him, dodging the same slash. Um, so like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't do very much. He sort of lets himself get, yeah. Yeah. In this issue, it seems like that Mariko made Taraji look like a mall cop. Oh yeah. Yeah. He really ran him about there and, and yeah, he's definitely dead. So yeah, he's, I would presume he's a yokai. I think the way that he has his voice the sort of his build and his his hands like he's got claw hands and such and and there's this point in the previous issue where ogan says uh never trust a human in reference to widow and then just a page later uh she's dispatching uh ocho and taraji so i presume that you know uh, everybody we see coming from ogan here on out would be also yokai like Mariko, and this would explain why when she like bites them or drinks the blood or whatever, like it's empowering her, right? Because there are the yokai too. So or Oni even. I I'm I can't remember, I get confused. But she never drank Taraji's blood, did she? She has this moment where she bites him and you can see flecks of blood coming out and it's a literally the like a, the panel later it's she's empowered. So I presume that that she didn't She only drank it when she bit him? She got like a little bit of a taste of it, maybe, but definitely she got empowered from biting there. Yeah, in the page where uh, Logan the wolf comes in and scares them while he was holding her, it seems like that Logan the wolf, even though Mariko barely knows him, he's protective of her. Like he keeps following her around. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, he's actually the only character they carried over from the first issue, where he loses his eye, as we can see, and. He sort of then shows up at the end of that issue in the sort of the flash forward to Mariko's time point, and you see him following her around. So maybe he's sort of vaguely aware of her destiny in some way, and um, that's why he's sort of about helping her. I think it is interesting that you know Mariko and and Logan were obviously like there's a connection there, clearly very different from the one in six one six. But you know, like it's interesting that there's um that they are like friends here now. But yeah, I think there maybe is going to be some sort of like destiny or like fate thing that's bound up with Mariko that Logan is aware of because of his animal intuition. I don't know. I think it's interesting though that like Logan is a wolf and not a wolverine. Like is he? I'm not sure if those two families are related. I don't think they are. I think they are different. 
they are different things, right? And yeah. yeah, but he is a wolf here, and he's not a mutant. Like he is, he is literally just a very intelligent immortal wolf. That's his shtick. And in fact, he doesn't help that much in the fights. Like obviously, he's a couple of moments where he's very important, but like in terms of, he's not out there fighting loads. He's kind of he's more of a moral support, I guess, um, than anything. Not completely true. He bites them. Yeah, he has that moment where he stops Ocho right, like right at the end. There, like he comes in and he um. He sort of stops her from attacking, and it's in fact like when she has him, uh, when she's about to stab him, that she actually loses her arm. So, you know, he's definitely valuable there. But I mean, in terms of like getting stuck in in the fight, like he's sort of he's more at the um, outskirts, I guess, most of the time. All right. So um, we also get Ogan here. Yeah, Ogan's really interesting. I I'm not sure who uh, the six one six counterpart for Ogan is, but she's clearly she's the main villain here. In the flashback sequence in Cursed Web here, I do think it shows, is it a younger Ogin? Where in the scene, like there's a flashback, right? Very shortly, uh, it's the flashback right after the fight, the first fight with Ocho where Taraji dies. And as Mariko passes out, there's this flashback to the when she's young, where her mother is there. And her mother is saying, stop Ogin. And Ogin looks younger and has sort of like hasn't grayed yet and i have to presume that maybe ogin is responsible for her mother's death that's why it all sort of ties in together i think would be my explanation at this point and i think that's the first time we've seen ogin in one of the flashbacks as well there so i think ogin has something to do with mariko's origin overall if that makes sense i guess we'll see when the next two books come out because as you said before it's not very clear who Ogin stands in for. Yeah, yeah, not yet anyway. But yeah, Ogin's Ogin's very much sort of a yeah, the big boss. I, I would be interested to see how um she keeps her minions under her sort of control. Because clearly she's got a very autocratic approach. She's telling them what to do, she's sending them out, they're going out and even dying, right? Isn't her most trusted lieutenant Kuya? Yeah, Kuya is the uh like night crawler stand in bamfing around you know got the little bamf on a matapir and all the panels and stuff has this ri- like all these ribbon like a ribbon cloak and the ribbons will come out and grab onto things like what nightcrawler's tail does but kuya mostly monitors things as far as i've seen uh, kuya did bring widow in dropped in and, and took widow back to ogin when widow didn't um is it Kuro- kuroki kuroki didn't bring in mariko in the last issue but that's the only time he's actually got directly involved most of the time he's sort of just observing yeah, have I explained the situation with Kuroki yet and, and what happened there in the previous issue? I think you mentioned it in the background where she served as Mariko's nanny. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then and then here she gets used as a sort of bait, her image does anyway. But it seems like she might be still alive. She doesn't look dead. And she's not been eaten and her blood's not been drunk. So I'm presuming she's still alive somehow, maybe. Does it mention that Ogin needs Kuroki alive? Yeah, it says um, something like that. Uh, she's not for eating. She's a lesson. I sent Kuroki to keep an eye on Mariko and eventually bring her to us. Blah, 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 blah. She betrayed us. Almost see the price of that betrayal. Yeah, so I don't know. Like Maybe she's dead and she's been hung out like that, but I think she's just unconscious. And it's sort of a, sort of a sick form of torture and, and such. So, But yeah, I think this is like a sort of a hint of how Ogan keeps everybody in line. Like it's through fear here, but I have to wonder how she originally sort of got into this position and what kind of relationship she has with everybody and the sort of the 
a little contingent there. Because so far we haven't seen any yokai in this era outside of Ogin and Ogin's people as well as uh, Mariko and Mariko's mother. We haven't seen like anybody who isn't allied. So I wonder if perhaps it's sort of a, a factional thing, like she's raised up these this group to as a sort of reaction to human aggression as well. But um, I, I presume we'll find out more about that in the next couple of issues. Yeah, and then... You know, we get two more of Ogin's minions at the end, Storm and Thor, or as they're called, Ororo and Sasuke. Yeah. Is it Sasuke or? Yeah, uh, Sasuke or? I think it's pronounced, like, because when you have something that's spelt S-U-K-E, it's pronounced Ske. Oh, Sasuke. Okay, yeah, I see that then. Sasuke. Like, not to be confused with Naruto, Sasuke. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah, so they yeah they, they introduce these two characters. Obviously, Aurora is the same name for Storm in 616. But yeah, they have very, like, sort of cute character designs, right? Like, they've got... Um, like, yeah, Storm's so cute. Y- yeah, like, adorable. And, like, little, little sort of cloak and big hair. And... Um, she gets a piggyback ride from Sasuke. Yeah, and and Sasuke's uh, he's got a hammer, and I think it's from the statue on the last page. You can see there's a statue without a hammer, and I think that's where he got his hammer uh, without a hand even. And if you look at previous issues, that statue had a hammer. Um, so I'm thinking that that he's just he's sort of just pulled it off there as a weapon. And yeah, they sort of have these sort of cute character designs. Like even Thor's got kind of he's kind of a scaled down look from what we usually see. But I was looking at the solicits for next week. They do not look like this. This is not the character designs that they use for these characters on the cover of the next issue. Maybe it's a transformation. Yeah, they have that final panel of, we must not reveal who we are, remember that. So I think, yeah, like, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what, what happens there. But interesting that they use the two lightning-based people as, I'm not even sure if they're, I don't think they're biological siblings. I think it's just a term of endearment. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's sort of, uh, maybe in translation, it's sort of changed it a bit. But but so far, I think, um, yeah, I think that's a good pairing. Like, thematically, they work well together as a team, sort of lightning gods, right? So um, we'll see how that pans out. Um, I'd be interested to see how their powers translate in this world, because obviously I think everybody's powers feel a bit more, um, like, we haven't seen anything like cosmic level, really, because Thor and Storm are leagues more powerful than everybody we've seen so far. I'd, I'd be interested to see what they do yeah. with that. And, you know, Reyna's the only human. Yeah, she's powerless here. Well, physically. Yeah, I think um, I think Reyna's generally had um, a good go of it. Like, she's had good fights so far in this sort of issue. And she was a match for any of the sort of the physical fighters, I suppose. But if somebody's shooting lightning at you, I don't, I don't think there's anything Reyna's going to be able to do to get out of the way of that. That's pretty rough. But I don't, I, I get the feeling she won't show up in the next issue, maybe. No, I think this was just a one-off for Reyna because she said that this is where we part ways to Mariko. Yeah, like she has a complete sort of quest that's complete, like like it's it's finished, it's done, um, and she she hands off this sort of parting gift for Mariko to use and then leaves. So I I don't I, I mean I could see her coming back for the finale, but as it stands, I do not think that the next issue of Demon Days will have any of Rainer and if that does change though we will I think we could do another one of these maybe I think um, if, she, if she comes back in the finale if you know since that's what all finales have that one whole big ensemble yeah 
yeah, I, 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 off, often, yeah, that's how it ends up. And I think it would, um, there's maybe more to pick up there with, uh, in terms of Raina and the stuff that she can do with her spiders and stuff. Um, but wasn't it cute yeah. when she gave her spiders a fist bump? Yeah, I think she was characterized really quite well um, as a sort of, like, she's very, like, almost affectionate with the spiders and and very sort of talkative and nice with them. And it's kind of a neurotic thing, obviously, because she's essentially talking to, like, you know, spiders. She is talking to spiders. But, yeah, she's got a sort of, you know, she has that ghost spider cool, right? Like, the cool you expect from a Spider-Gwen is present here with Raina. Like, she's very much... Even her uniform takes cues from Spider-Gwen. Absolutely, because it's supposed to be like a school uniform, but what she's gone and done, she's like adapted it so it's more her own. And it's one of the few times where I've seen a radically different Spider-Gwen design that's not from the original run that I've actually gone, oh, that's actually really good. Because it, it keeps in mind like a lot of a lot of the sort of the design principles there. Like it's got, I think, what are close to Converse's, like, that, like high tops in the outfit. They managed to keep that. They've got the hoodie there. Um, they sort of keep the color scheme. They alternate with the black and the white there, and it turns out really well, I think. And yeah, like I think it's a really good sort of um, look for a character. The only thing which I think maybe I'd change is is just the amount of spiders like that she's put on the outfit. Like she's put one really big one on the outfit on the back of the outfit, which I think is fine. But she's even got like smaller ones on the front of it. And I don't know at that point, I think it maybe it's it's too many spider motifs. You think um, that's overkill? Yeah, I think to take a character who has no spider motifs and then put three of them on it is a big, big jump. And I, yeah, I, I think for a school uniform, it starts looking less realistic for them to do that. Like, do um, you think two max would just be it? I think I like the one on the back, but I was trying to think, like, what kid would, would put so many spiders on their hoodie? And I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe it seems like too many spiders. But, but it's, a, it's a nitpick. It's minor. I really like this design. I think it's a really good design for Ghost Spider. And I'm I'm, I'm really glad that we got somebody in, in Peach Momoko who sort of came up with what was a very radically different look um, and really managed to make it work, I think. And it works in the context of, like, practically what you'd expect from the character as well like because she is a school child but she is has her you know very own unique sense of style and all of that comes through um and obviously the obsession with spiders which this version of ghost spider has is used to sort of great effect so yeah i think it all sort of it comes together nicely i think um i think they did a really good job here and i kind of want to throw out a little bit of trivia regarding uh reina's last name just because it's a fun fact to know okay shoot her last name, Yuyami, if you were to break it down literally into two separate parts of her last name, the Yu part, it translates into kind. Nice. And Yami means darkness. Oh. So I guess you could say that her last name translates into the kind darkness. Oh, that's um okay. I feel like that's probably apt because the darkness within her comes from, you know, her vengeance against Ocho. But you know, on the surface, she really is a kind person. Yeah, no, she's, um, I think she's always been a very angsty character, but ultimately still one who is um, good, like, or at least wants to do good. And that comes through here. Like, she has no hesitation about, like, helping Mariko and stuff. So she's still, yeah, she's still got a good sort of soul, but she's in a very dark place. And I think that's a nice, I didn't know that. That's really nice. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's just me watching years of anime in their original dialogue. Yeah, yeah, that's um, no, no, I, I think that's really cool. Thank you for your, uh, thank you for your expert insight there. <laughs> like, I'm not even Japanese, but yeah. Of course, of course. No, I meant in that 
you'd watch so much anime and stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think in fairness, Yami is a basic word that almost everyone should know, even if you've only watched a little bit of anime. Yeah, I think even I've come across Yami. I remember, like, it definitely rang a bell when you said it. Um, Mostly it's in Yu-Gi-Oh! with Yami Yugi. Right, yes. Okay, yeah, it's coming back to me. Yeah, I haven't watched that in years. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the only Yamis there are Yami Yugi, Yami Merrick, Yami Bakura. Right, nice. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good... That's a good name there. Nice. Thank you for your uh, insight there. I wonder, does Raina mean anything? Well, the Ray part of her name means zero, but her entire first name, I'm not sure. Um... But for the Black Widow character, Kiro means black. Right. That makes sense. Okay, in Japanese, Raina has the meaning wise. Okay, so the wise kind darkness. I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think the wise part was figuring out that, you know, Mystique was posing as Kiroki. Yeah, I think definitely. And also, like, all of her situation with the spiders is very cool. And to have that in a very basic sort of uh, environment and sort of restricted from having sort of any extensive spider farming facilities, whatever those look like, uh, is very, very cool. I guess you could call this uh, this little segment our rudimentary Japanese teachings. Oh yeah, yeah. We should we should get a translator on next time. Yeah. Um, but no, I just got everything that I needed to know from anime. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Nice. So, um, yeah. Does that uh, wrap up our thoughts for this issue? Yeah, I guess. Although I want to add to the fact that, like, with Storm, she looks like a stuffed toy that I would put on my top shelf or on my bed. Yeah, you've put a uh, you put kawaii in the notes here. I think, <laughs> absolutely. Because she is. Definitely. So, uh, so we should give our final opinions, I take it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you like to go first? Sure. Okay. So, yeah, the overall Demon Days Cursed Web number one, even though that this is the Mariko Yoshida show, well, for the book anyway, I like the fact that they, you know, for our sake, included Ghost Spider here and how much, uh, they took cues from Gwen, but, you know, at the same time, they made Reyna her own character. And they have this trope of seeking out your, uh, like, yeah, seeking out your family's killer. And then, you know, you dedicate what's the rest of your life. Or it's not very long for Reyna, but practically she dedicates the rest of her life for getting revenge because you see you know, her wall is plastered with sightings of Ocho, and I feel like that's pretty apt with Gwen's manhunt for the rhino back in the Latour run. Oh, yeah. And also, even though that she doesn't have power, she's just a normal human here, I love that she's able to use a spider venom-laced yo-yo weapon, because, well, practically you can use anything as a weapon, but using a yo-yo, yeah, you can do a lot with that. You can hit people, you can strangle, you can garrote. Yeah. And then, you know, there's also with, uh, you know, the art. You know, I just love anything that looks anime-esque. That's what I based my own art style uh, whenever I draw. And even though, because I said it before, with the amount of violence here, 
it starts off cute at first and then it kind of gets less cute real fast when Taraji's eyes get slashed out and then his head gets cut off and then Mystique's arm gets cut off and then she bleeds out. Yeah. That kind of threw me off a little bit, but it was still enjoyable to see. Definitely. Um, yeah. But overall, I thought the story was really, really interesting and using more of these uh, Japanese folklore and mythology, something good to analyze. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I really like the incorporation of, of the Japanese folklore stuff. And it was really strong, I think, in the first issue, but I think that was because it was doing more like, uh, there's more world building going on there. There's more like exposition. But but with this one, I think they've, uh, what Peach Momoko has done is created, um, you finished with your thoughts, by the way, I've not just started talking over you, have I? Um, I think that's pretty much all I've got to say. Right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great stuff. Yeah. I know. I, I agree. And and um, I think what I like, Peach Momoko's done with this is is created a really cool version of Ghost Spider, uh, especially when there's not many like there's literally nobody doing it right now over at Marvel. Like this is this is uh, this is all Peach Momoko, and and I think she's created a really sort of good design for one um and like you say interesting sort of power set and relationship with spiders and found uh sort of a straightforward way i think to incorporate that theme of tragedy and trauma and is sort of uh sort of have that angst present there um for this character which fits quite well i think with this book perhaps that's sort of why this character sort of been put forward more than all of these other big sort of heavy hitters that you have over at marvel for Mariko to have a friend in really um and I'm glad that we've had this uh if there's more I would be thrilled and we'd do we'd definitely do something for that but definitely I think this is um this is a really good ghost spider that we've got here and, and like you say the art here is phenomenal really excellent and um I enjoy the sort of the action uh, a lot of Pichimoko's work is very is very wordless sort of action sequences um and I enjoy that and and the sort of the the violence in it is done not like it's not just done for shock it is as a sort of you know it's earned by the story I think and it's a very good just comic I think it might be my favorite comic that Marvel are publishing at the moment to be honest it just just the series overall even if it didn't have Ghost Spider in, it might be one of my favorite uh, ones that they're putting out at the moment. And it's uh, Peach Momoko is doing just such a, a, something really fresh, I think, with this run. And um, something that's sort of sorely needed from Big Two Comics, perhaps. Yeah, At least it has a Ghost Spider for us. Yeah, it has a ghost spider, and and that's that's something, and you know, it's it's completely valid. They don't have to be a Gwen, um, and and actually seeing um, the ghost spider mantle in action, completely devoid of a Gwen Stacy, I think is quite. It's maybe a bit freeing for um for for the writer, and um, there's a there's a completely different expectation. They have to justify the name and the and the look and the the sort of the themes there in a different way, and I think that that's actually worked in its favor a little bit. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. I really like Reina Yuyami. I'd, I'd love to see um, more of this character if she ever gets brought back anyway. But in general, Ghost Spider should be brought back anyway. So if anyone at Spidey Office is listening to this episode, can you please announce something? Yes, please. Yes, please. So much. It's been so long. We'll we'll uh, we we would we would like a Ghost Spider ongoing one of these days. It'd be great. Oh, I feel like somewhere down the line, at least before Into the Spider-Verse 2 comes out. Yeah, at least before then. Um, that'd be ideal. So, um, yeah, I think that wraps up our final opinions. Yeah, I guess it does. Okie dokie. So, um, 
what we're going to be doing for next week's episode is we're going to be returning to our read-through of the Gwen 65 comics. We're picking up with the Hugo-nominated arc, Dog Days Are Over. We're going to be doing the last issue of the Spider-Gwen Goes Spider-Run. So Spider-Gwen Goes Spider number 10. Um, and then we're picking up with the series that got renamed to just Ghost Spider. We're going to be doing Ghost Spider number 1 to 5 as well. That's the Dog Days Are Over arc. Um, and what this looks at is a new, another new status quo for Gwen, where she's splitting her time between Earth 616 and Earth 65. We get a bit more of the Jackal. We get a Dino Swarm. We get, I say a bit more of the Jackal, we get a lot more of the Jackal. Um, we get a little bit of Man Wolf. Um, and we get sort of get a feel for Gwen's new status quo. And I think probably some some really nice stuff with Peter Parker as well from, from sort of what we've had sort of prior in this run it's sort of built on that a bit which is really cool um so as usual the links in the description um are for gwen's reading list for the gwen 65 comics there's a little bit in there about what to look to to buy comics so stuff like marvel unlimited as well as comiXology and we'll put a direct link to the comiXology pages for next week's comics as well as the demon days comics as well for for this issue of that we did this episode um so that's going to be if you need to know what they look like at least you've got those links there or if you just want to buy them directly from Comixology, they're there. So that that's that. So um, we sort of run this like a book club. So if you want to send in your thoughts as a listener, um, as a reader, about what we're looking at next week, if you want to let us know what you think about Dog Days or Over, um, what you can do is you can read the arc, send your thoughts in about it, and um, then we can discuss you know, your thoughts, we'll read them out. And you can do that by replying to or quoting our tweets at the at GS Groupies Twitter or emailing us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com. Um, we do have a Reddit thread that we try and put up um, as well. And there's also a Kofi page now um, to pay for the Podbean subscription at the moment. And then maybe just a regular coffee after that point, if we ever got that much. But um, I doubt it. So, um, yeah, if you want to <laughs> and- support the Podbean subscription, please support coffee and i also want to point out to if there's any listener out there who's part of the uh, hugo voting committee vote for dog days are over yes yes please um that'd be very cool it's very good it's very good arc and um i'm looking forward to discussing it and we'll also get to discuss particularly i think what we'll be able to get a lot of discussion out of is the name change because the name change happens in the next arc and we will we will be breaking that down i think um because that's definitely i think one of the biggest sort of controversial ghost spider topics um at the moment that we've had in recent years but you know it's just a branding thing yeah because, you know, realistically, she can't be called Spider-Gwen in 616. Exactly. And we'll, we'll get into all of that next week. I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah. Is that, that our show? Yep. All righty. Great stuff. Uh, thanks, Abigail. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, read Dog Days Rover, read Demon Days. And um, see you next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.